we know that keeping people engaged in whatever aspect of their life is vitally important. And so we really encourage people that if they see these trends happening in either their family or somebody that they know, investigate the opportunities to find something that can help them reach out to others. Because that's the number one thing that we found that seniors want to use technology for is staying connected to their families or friends. The second thing was staying connected to their hobbies or interests. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Welcome to Rock Your Retirement. I am so excited today. I have Gary Knight, who's the director, the executive director of the San Diego Futures Foundation. And this nonprofit helps seniors with technology. Now, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this show, you're pretty good with technology, but you might know somebody who isn't, or you might be looking for a volunteer opportunity. So I'm going to let Gary tell you all about his foundation and his uh, nonprofit, and let's welcome Gary to the show. Gary, thanks so much for coming on board. Well, thank you. Appreciate you offering to be provide us the uh, chance to reach out to your audience and tell them more about our organization. So tell me about your organization. How does it work? Well, the San Diego Futures Foundation was uh, formed at the direction of the San Diego County Supervisors. Back in 1999, they decided that they wanted to internalize, or excuse me, externalize their IT support services. And when they did that, they wanted to make sure that as they were retiring equipment that they had a place to go and could get back out into the community. So we were formed to do that. So every year we get about three to 5,000 computers that we refurbish, reload software, and then donate to nonprofits and make available to the community at a very low cost. And one of our primary focuses is with seniors. Um, We have been working at something called bridging the digital divide, which basically means that there's a number of people who are not online and don't have the technology to do it. So we've been working with a number of groups, and the seniors are the highest disconnected population in our community. So every year we provide resources, both technology and training, to the senior population, and we do that across the county. So it's really exciting to have this opportunity to explore this with you and your audience and let them know about what we do. Now, what kinds of people get the computers? Is there an income cap or is it just anybody who wants to learn more or who doesn't have a computer now? How does that work? Well, thanks for asking because that's a good point. It is income-based and that's required by the companies that provide us the software like Microsoft. So typically anybody that is receiving any kind of government assistance, and that would include Medicare, Medi-Cal, CalFresh or anything like that would qualify. And so that is the basic income uh, threshold that we have to meet. Okay, so just to be clear, Medicare does not qualify you. It's Medi-Cal, which is California. No, Medicare does. Well, anybody Medicare, 60 Medi-Cal, So anybody 65 and over and, should qualify, yes. So that's not income based then if they're Medicare, right? Well, remember, it's that is one of the criteria. So it, we say income based and we use that as a threshold. Because many times people who can uh, afford uh, other insurance take it and don't, like for instance myself, I don't have Medicare. 
and that's because and I'm 65 by the way I'm a I'm one of this population so <laughs> they I, so somebody who may not be taking care of Medicare would not qualify but if they did they would uh, qualify for these computers oh okay so so the reason why I'm asking is in my other yeah. life I deal with Medicare and ah. I have clients who are multimillionaires that are on Medicare so understand. Are you telling me that they would qualify? I just want to be clear. They would. It's it's one of those loopholes that uh, when when the program was put into place, not us, by the software company, that was one of the thresholds they gave us. So uh, if you're 65 and over and have Medicare, you would qualify. Okay. Well, that's really good to know. I'm glad that I cleared that up. Thank you. You're so welcome. tell me about your programs. Who fixes up the computers? Are they volunteers or are they paid staff? How does that work? Well, both. We start off with volunteers. We only had a staff of two. And you can understand that when you get that many computers coming in, two people couldn't do it. So we start off with a number of times volunteers coming by and or a high school students that were close. There's a high school very close by and their computer club would come over and help us out. But over the years, as we've grown and and, and Proved our services, we've been able to add on paid staff. So right now in that department, we have five people, and literally they are busy from the time they come in until the time they leave in the evening, five days a week. So it's a very busy, very robust part of our uh, offerings and program. And then the second side of that, of course, is the training side. And we have a staff of two, and then we also utilize uh, trainers who are seniors themselves. And we have a number of them who have volunteered, and they are either living in a retirement facility or they go out to community centers and other locations to do what we call digital literacy training, and that is how to use a computer, how to get online, how to set up accounts, and then how to use some of the basic uh, programs that we use every day like Word and Excel, etc. Now, the senior center close to where I live in San Marcos has people that come in and train people on computers. I, I think it's a couple of days a week. Are you partnering partnering with senior centers, or is that sort of a separate program? No, it would depend on the senior center. We reach out to as many as we can, and if they already have a program going that's uh, functional and robust, then it wouldn't make sense for us to duplicate it. However, there's a number of places across the county that don't have that, and so we want to make sure that we're making our um, volunteers and trainers available to go out to those locations. And you can guess, we don't have the capacity to do every senior center, but we try to get to as many as we can. And even just the um, communities, the, you know, the 50, not 55 and older, you know, the assisted living, those kind of places. Yes. Aren't there like 400 or something like that in San Diego? It is a large number. Yes. <laughs> I don't know the exact number, but it is large. And we, and again, we do have people that sometimes volunteer that will live in a center like that. And that's a perfect scenario for us because that way, once they're trained on how to deliver the content that we do, they can keep doing it over and over in the same location for new residents or for people who uh, weren't able to make some of the other classes. So that's been a very positive thing for us. When we have to travel out to a place where no one resides, then that's why it's challenging because people have health issues. Uh, sometimes we're not as mobile at other times. It's always nice to have somebody living in the location of where they're providing it. So senior uh, residences or assisted living are, are examples of where we would really like to find more volunteers. So if any of your audience would like that, they can reach out to us and we'd be glad to tell them more about the program. Yeah, I think that would be great. Now, just 
for your knowledge, probably people who are actually living in senior communities don't listen to this show. That That's my uh, guess. But their kids do. And oh, there you go. Yeah. And so if you have a parent who wants to learn more about technology or who is somewhat technology, you know, savvy a little bit, then this would be a great volunteer opportunity for them. And they could, you know, how often, how often would one of your volunteers do a training? Is it weekly, monthly, how quarterly? Uh, it would, it's weekly over, I think a four week period. So I think it's two hours for four days and that would be uh, over a course of a month or so. And we provide all of the uh, information that they would need. We train them on how to how to go about it. And as you say, many of them are already tech savvy and they just love being able to help uh, a peer learn something that's so vital to today's existence. I mean, if we think about it, almost everything that we do now has some technology associated with it. I know. Even, even your floor. refrigerator can be turned on and off yeah. by your phone. It's crazy. <laughs> it can even tell you what's inside of it. I, that That's kind of scary. <laughs> The world is being taken over by automation. Huh? I know. I know it is. Everything's moving so fast. You know, it's crazy. It is. Um, so but so I if just we, wanna... if we can keep a handle on it, it's good. You know, I it's, know. It's always it, when we let things get out of control. But no, it's, it's all positive. Okay. So you just said that there was this four-week, two-hour uh, two training. Class. Is that to train the trainers or is that the actual class that the person would be teaching? The one I just described would be the actual class that the person would be teaching. But uh, and we customize for our volunteers. We do hold classes, and I, I be honest with you, I don't remember exactly the frequency. But we go out and try to recruit new trainers, and then we take them through a program. We meet with them. Uh, we make sure that they're vetted, meaning that we have a a background check that we do because we won't send anybody out that we feel might impose a danger to others. And then we make sure that they have all the material that they need, such as course materials and the software, so they can go out and teach these classes. Wow. Okay. And so you've trained somebody, they live in a community, like let's say they live in Belmont Village in Cardiff. And so how often would that person conduct a class? Well, they may do it on a quarterly basis. They may uh, do it uh, every other or, or every six months, it's up to them. We don't try to define for our volunteers how frequently, but once they do the class, as I said, it's usually two hours and it's over a four to six week period. Okay. So they might do it once a year? Is like how often that, that, do they normally we'll do take, it? We'll take whatever they're willing to give us. That's awesome. <laughs> Meaning that we, we don't try to lock them in uh, because that, uh, let's be realistic. If you're healthy and you have the ability of traveling, maybe something you want to do, and you may be gone for two or three months at a time, sometimes because of health issues. So instead of trying to make it a fixed program, we try to leave it very flexible and make sure that our uh, seniors who require or desire the classes know about it, and if they can't get it to where they are at that point, they can travel to another location. Wow, that's pretty cool. Do you know of other programs like this in other cities and states other than San Diego? Well, we are working off of, uh, this all started from a pilot program. There's an organization that used to be called the Consumer Electronics Association. They do a big show every year in Las Vegas. They've changed their name to, this, to the um, Consumer Technology Association. And they provided us a grant uh, three years ago to start this program and get it off the ground. And we've been able to partner with the county and others. And so we now have, we're in our third year. 
We've trained quite a few hundred people over the course of that period of time and have expanded the program. Now I think we have at least 18 sites that we're at at any given time. And are those all in California or are they in other Those are all in San Diego. So I can't speak to the depth of other programs. I do know that there are other organizations and other assisted living facilities and retirement facilities in other parts of of California that do provide some kind of of training and education. I just don't know to what extent. It's not something that we have a organizational structure that we can connect up with them and provide it. It's more anecdotal. I hear about it from somebody else. That's too bad that the Consumer yes. Technology Association doesn't sort of have a alliance a for all of you. Yeah, because mm-hmm. wouldn't that be cool if you could all communicate and share best practices? It would be. And I, I'll, I'll, that's a great example of an idea that I can take back to them and let them know that it came from the community and see what they have to say. Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay. So we are currently talking to Gary Knight, who is the executive director of the San Diego Futures Foundation. And he is telling us about what the volunteers do. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the programs that the general public can take. Are your plastic containers multiplying behind closed doors? Hi, my name is Lisa Woodruff, and I am a professional organizer and productivity expert. Okay, what's going on behind those closed doors with all of those plastic containers? I want you to get them all out and put them on your kitchen counter or your kitchen table. All of them, every single one. And then match the tops and the bottoms. If you don't have a top, get rid of the bottom. And if you have a top with no bottom, get rid of the top. Then when you look at what you have left, I want you to think about really how many plastic containers do you need? How often do you use reusable plastic containers? Get down to a very small amount that you keep in your cabinet. Because as you and I know, they're going to multiply in there anyway. Anything you don't need, go ahead and donate and then find out how little you can live on. Check out the Organized 365 podcast for more on how to get organized as you rock your retirement. Welcome back to the Rock Your Retirement Show. We are talking with Gary Knight, who is the executive director of the San Diego Futures Foundation. And he has been talking to us about volunteer opportunities with his organization. Now we're going to talk about what the general public can do. So, Gary, welcome back. Thank you. Appreciate it. So tell me what kinds of programs you have that people can take? Is it the two-hour class or what What exactly can people do with your organization? The first thing you can think of is that if they meet our, we had talked a little bit about a financial threshold and that's across the board. It doesn't just require seniors, but if they have need of technology and financially qualified, we always encourage people to come and get a, a computer and utilize it for the many things that we need every day like I said, from signing on to uh, sites, to researching jobs, to applying for jobs, to traveling virtually, to connecting up with family and being able to uh, communicate with them. There are so many things that technology offers that we can improve or in the quality of life that we have. So that's one of the areas that we encourage. Or refer somebody that they know that doesn't have a computer. Uh, we work a lot with a program called Connect to Compete, 
and that is a national program designed for families, uh, specifically the children who are on a free lunch program. And there they can get uh, internet connectivity for a very low cost, and they're allowed to buy one of our computers. And that has been a program that's been going on for the last four to five years, and we've helped a number of families. Yet every year, new children coming on board to the school system that we try to support and help the schools with. There's also a number of programs where you can go out and volunteer time and helping students in schools, like we have one group that will come by and pick up a request of 15 or 20 computers. They'll come by, pick them up, and then take them into a school and set up a computer lab for them. We really appreciated these groups of people who volunteered to do that and recognize the importance of making sure technology is available to students for other activities. That's two of the programs I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, the other one that um, we, again, this won't probably apply to a large number of your audience, but we work with other nonprofits and provide them technology. So they can go online at uh, sdfutures.org and request computers. We'll make a donation. And then we have an IT support service that can help them set them up and be able to maintain them and keep them uh, uh, running for a very low cost. And that's one of our uh, side services that came about just because we do distribute computers. Wow, that, that's, that's really cool. So if I have a low-income um, person that I know who's over 65 and meets your other criteria, um, can they ever get a free computer or is there usually a nominal cost? We normally have a cost, and one of the reasons we did this, it may sound strange, but uh, because we work with a large underserved population, they would get a computer, and we have a pawn shop across the street, and they would take <laughs> it over there and pawn it because they, there's, no, there's no engagement. There's no value in it for them, and so they were able to take it and cash it out and use that uh, for whatever it was that they needed, and we realized that wasn't doing anybody any good. So the cost of our computer started at around $100. And this is a very robust computer that was in the county being used by a county employee to do the work that they do. So you can guess that they're quite good computers, very robust, very strong. But we do have a donation program. So they can sign up and we allocate X number of computers every month to be able to be donated at no cost. And once that contribution runs out, then we put people on a waiting list until the next uh, contribution is available. So that's really kind of like a scholarship program. Exactly. We recognize that not everybody, even though it's a low cost, still not everybody can afford it. So we still wanted to make sure that that was available to the community. Now, do I have to be concerned that um, county computers are being used by people? I mean, is there any kind of security concern? What What do you do with these computers to make sure that... Very good question. When a computer, we also take donations from the public here. So when we receive a computer, the computer is completely uh, wiped and reformatted. So none of the data that was on there previously is uh, usable. And we use standards that are considered uh, what they call Department of Defense DOD standards. So uh, truly, nothing there would ever be at risk. No one's going to be able to see something that somebody else did from when back. Or if they were to drop off a computer, nobody would be able to find out any of your personal information. So it's kind of like shredded. Exactly, except that we don't tear it apart. It's, it's uh, how would you say it, it's software shredded. Software shredded, okay. And what about when I see I'm driving down the street and I see the high schools say, drop off your old computers here, drop off your printers. 
do they go to you or do they go to the junkyard? No, uh, depends on, I don't know each organization, but what a lot of them will do is that these are places that are taking them in and wanting to, what they'll do is resell them. We get a, we get computers that are donated that are no longer usable. And we work with a salvage organization or company that is vetted, meaning that when they get it, they actually take all the parts that are usable and then they ensure that none of that leftover material goes into the landfill. It's recycled. And so we make sure that it's 100% reused and nothing goes to waste or put back in the landfills because that's a very important part for us. So that would be like your Windows 3.1 computer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or if something's broken, it's no longer functional, um, it's old and doesn't work, whatever. We'll take those, and as I said, we'll make sure that parts that we can use are reused and the rest is recycled and put back out into cars or other other um, devices. That's really cool because a lot of times people have these old computers and they're scared to do something with oh, them. Yeah. Just make sure that the people they take them to uh, has that kind of both the ensuring that the information on the computers is eliminated and ensuring that the equipment is disposed of in a responsible manner. That's the only thing I would be sure to uh, encourage your uh, listeners to do. That's a great piece of advice. Um, now, you still have volunteers that help with the computers and with the programs. Do I have to be concerned about your volunteers or who's doing the destruction of the data? How does that work? Oh, uh, no, uh, that is done by our staff. So, no, it's, uh, we wouldn't leave that component to someone who doesn't know the program. Our volunteers primarily help us stage equipment. So they'll clean it up. They'll make sure that all the parts are working. But our staff takes care of ensuring the security on the systems. And are they background checked or anything? How do you? Oh, yes. Everybody has gone through background checks, our organization. And our staff... Uh, Almost every one of them has been with us uh, six to ten years, and we've never had an incident that's been reported to us of anyone's information remaining on the computer. In fact, it's, it's almost virtually impossible for that to happen. <laughs> that's good to know, absolutely, because yeah. I, I do know, I have talked to people, oh, what do I do with this computer? I'm afraid, blah, blah, blah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so that's good. And then people don't want it to wind up in a landfill either, just like you were talking about. No, most of us today, I think, have a, a social conscience. We're aware of, I mean, right now we're at a point where a lot of this equipment was being taken over to other countries, to China and, and third world countries, and they're filled. There's no place to put them. And so uh, we hear about them being dumped someplace. Mm. And so we ensure that we only work with organizations that are certified and have a audit that's in place that shows what they've done with the uh, parts and what they've done with the excess materials. That's good because, you know, I've always wondered, okay, so we can't dump the stuff here, so we send it off to China? That doesn't make sense. We're all one world. Yeah, <laughs> but that's where they were taking it, right? Now, what do the high school students do? I'm, I mean, they're working the tech, tech part, right? They're not just cleaning up the computers. I mean, I, I can't imagine a high school tech club person would be satisfied. No, in fact, uh, interesting you're saying that. We've uh, launched a new program here that's called uh, Girls Who Code, and it's a club-based program. And this is designed to address a desperate need in the technology industry. When you start to look at the number of students that start off early in their school uh, life, uh, especially as we get to the sixth and seventh grade, 
a high percentage, uh, 60%, 70% of the girls are very interested in science and technology. But by the time they graduate at 12th grade, that's dropped down to less than 25%. And the number of women who actually go into the industry gets down to, especially girls or women of color, it's down to 9%. Wow. So that is a, a disparity or a, a problem that exists in our technology. So what we've done is start, we've connected up with a national organization that focuses primarily on girls, and we teach them coding skills. And so talking about volunteers, that's another area of volunteerism that we have is that we have a number of women and others who are successful in their technology field, especially in the programming or sciences. And they like to come over, and we do this twice a week here at our facility. And we have girls coming from different high schools, and they are allowed to then to teach a curriculum over the course of a school year that helps them gain both knowledge and experience, but also confidence. Because one of the things that we determined very early on was that, and the Girls School Club uh, organization really focuses on this, it's called the um, atmosphere or the idea of sisterhood. And the reason is, is that so often girls uh, don't, I, I, and I'm just, let me back it up, not just girls, everybody does not like to be ridiculed and made fun of. But that's especially true when it gets in the technology field, it's so male dominated. And they're made fun of because it's not a girl thing. And so we're trying to change that. And so they're given a lot of exposure, a lot of opportunities to talk with other women of success in the technology field, to learn about what is a day-to-day kind of job, and then give that reassurance that they are able to do this, that they have the confidence. And hopefully by the time they graduate, we'll have a higher percentage of women in the industry. That's great. I am so proud of what you are doing here in my community. I love that. Well, thank you. That is That's good. appreciated because we try to we try to associate. So the and not not to bore you, and this probably will not uh, address a number of your uh, listeners either. But we've also started another program that we felt was a desperate need, and that is we've uh, brought on a gentleman who has both sight and hearing impairment, and he is going to be training others that have sight and hearing impairment on how to use technology and gain skills at learning. Yeah, the sight and hearing impaired is a big, I mean, that's a huge part of retirement in later years and also helping your parents. So I love the fact that you are doing that. So are they using adaptive equipment or how's that How's that working? Exactly. No, that's exactly it. What we're doing is we're training on adaptive equipment so then they can use that equipment to do whatever it is that they want. A lot of our focus because of the reimbursement is focused on workforce. So this would be somebody who maybe have a, has a sight disability that wants to go to work. So we'll train them first on the adaptive technology, and then we'll work with employers and identify jobs that could use this adaptive technology, and then we'll train them into the jobs. So by the time the employer is ready to hire, this person is ready to go to work. And we're hoping to see a big increase in local employment with those who have either hearing or sight um, disabilities. Wow. That is amazing. Thank you for doing that. You know, for my listeners, I have a freebie called Secrets About Retirement Your Broker Won't Tell You. And two of the secrets have to do with what Gary's program, San Diego Futures, deals with. One of them is keep your mind active. 
And by either volunteering in his program or learning about new technologies, that is one of the secrets. And so you would be helping yourself with that. And then the other one is take advantage of services. And so the service that San Diego Futures provides is definitely something that my listeners or their parents or aunts can um, can take advantage of. You know, take advantage of. And if you want to get that freebie, just go to rockyourretirement.com slash secrets. So, Gary, is there anything else that you would like to tell the listeners? Well, we worked with the county on a study that they did. And one of the pieces that was quite surprising to us was that the number of elderly, and I'm 65 and over, so I fall into that category, seniors, that are in the hospital and that they come home, if they don't have something, as you were just talking about, keeping them engaged, their readmittance rate goes up to around 30 to 40% because they don't follow their treatment plans, they're depressed, and it results in uh, them being readmitted for the same diagnosis. Uh, when we were invited in, and they use a caseworker, and we're invited in and pro- provide them technology, that number dropped down to less than 10%. And so... We know that keeping people engaged in whatever aspect of their life is vitally important. And so we really encourage people that if they see these trends happening in either their family or somebody that they know, investigate the opportunities to find something that can help them reach out to others. Because that's the number one thing that we found that seniors want to use technology for is staying connected to their families or friends. The second thing was staying connected to their hobbies or interests. And you have a story about that, right? It was somebody who had a leg yes. amputation. Tell, tell us about that. Well, it was a gentleman who uh, I didn't know, and he came, he came up to me. We were at a senior center, and he comes rolling up to me in his scooter and you know, sort of honking his horn, and he says, you saved my life. And I'm going, oh, that's interesting because I've never met you. He says, no, no, your organization. He said, you guys uh, gave me a computer, and it was at one of the lowest points in my life. He had just had his leg amputated because of diabetes. Mm. And uh, what, so he was trying to figure out what is he going to do the rest of his life. Very, very depressed. And so we gave him a computer. He attended one of the classes, and he realized that there was a number of sites online that addressed his high interest, which was in automobiles. He loved cars. And so it allowed him to stay connected. To He can actually stream uh, on his uh, computer uh, live uh, races. He was able to talk to other people about cars. And then he started up his own uh, chat room where he could share information, others could share with him about the cars that he was interested in. And so when I saw him, he was actually volunteering to help others. He was excited, getting around, going places, because he no no longer felt like he was just discarded or or no longer of value to uh, himself or to the community. So that was a very, uh, for me, very touching thing to know that we played a role in his life like that. Yeah, how... Did you ever think that you were going to save somebody's life by starting this organization or working in it? That's that's just an incredible story. Thank you. Yeah, you, you try to figure out how does a computer really do that, right? But when you think about it, it's not the computer, it's what the computer does. It's what it allows you to do. So uh, absolutely. It, uh, and I try to share this with a number of our staff, so they, especially when they're coming on for the first time, to make sure they understand that what we do isn't just technology. It's about impacting the lives of those who use it. Now, you have a freebie that you've put together for our listeners. It's called the Cyber Safety Toolkit. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? 
Thank you for, for mentioning that. The thing that we recognize uh, most when dealing with seniors is that they're targets. They're targets of people who are wanting to take advantage of them. And if they're uncomfortable or uh, not familiar with technology, many times they'll receive a message through their email that induces them to click on it. And then the next thing you know, they've lost their information. Their computer has been locked down because of a, a ransomware attack. And there are so many things that are going on today that we wanted to make sure that seniors at least had the basic information that they needed to protect themselves online and some of the various types of threats that may exist out there. We don't want people to uh, be afraid of technology. And that is one of the things that is out there most frequently is about these kinds of, of attacks. And so hopefully this pamphlet, this this um, paper will be able to help them understand some of this and prepare so they can go and use their computer with confidence. Awesome. And you can get that at rockyourretirement.com slash cyber. And in case you don't know, cyber is spelled C-Y-B like boy, E-R. So that's rockyourretirement.com forward slash cyber. Gary, how can my listeners get in contact with you? Well, they can go to our website, which is sdfutures.org, and or they can call us at 619-269-1684. And when the uh, menu comes up, just select the operator and then let them know what they're interested in, and she'll address it or route it to the correct person. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And for my listeners, we'll see you next week on Rock Your Retirement. Oh, wait, I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August... Actually, August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone 
by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, Actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, We actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.